Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Firing this off on a Tuesday evening here in Northern California. Been a busy week already with the EPAR trade, racer, magazine, speed sport, uh, industry show that they do every year. Hosted about a half hour conversation with Penske Entertainment CEO Mark Miles on Monday. Did another half hour or so today. IndyCar president Jay Penske going to spend a half hour with our guy Ricardo Junkos on Wednesday. And I think that's it for my hosting duties. But that's all been quite interesting. Have spent, oh boy, a heck of a bunch of time on the phone a lot of folks already just two days into this week. Some pretty serious stories to write here. One of them I've been sitting on for a little while. And yeah, uh, it's going to take a little bit longer to shape that. But might be a couple months now into the IndyCar offseason. But I tell you, <laughs> things have not slowed down. Say a big thanks to y'all. With that in mind, we're well into the offseason. Normally, questions slow down quite a bit for the show. Uh, hasn't really been the case so far this year. Uh, show is just doing great, honestly. <laughs> Thanks to y'all. Uh, the listenership, the consumption of it, the numbers are better than they have ever been. And so really and truly, my wife and I thank you so, so much for that. This is a family business. Uh, it's it's us so thank you for your support of what we do also a big massive thank you to cooper tires the justice brothers torontomotorsports.com discount tire for their support of this show many of them four five six seven i don't know really long time since we started this little silliness before we get rolling with your questions put together by our pal jerry Siddith. Two things I want to mention here. Bit of a heavy heart this week. Learned on Monday the great, truly great Canadian motor racing reporter, Norris McDonald. Lost Norris. He'd been in a pretty bad way for most of the year and finally lost Norris. This is a, uh, a somewhat rare having a beer episode by the way uh having some dragon's milk reserve 11 percent apv all in honor of norris to be honest and uh, uh yeah i apparently forgot how to swallow uh if i was doing things properly i probably would have gone searching for i don't know labats or some sort of canadian beer uh a molson nonetheless we got some with a little bit of kick to remember norris Talk about Norris for a moment. Might not know him. Norris was 81, 82 or so. Covered his first Indy 500 in 1969. One year after our late, late friend, longtime colleague of mine, Robin Miller, covered his first, was at his first in a professional capacity. And I often thought of Norris as Canadian Robin Miller. Uh, his, his choice of, of clothing, far better. Uh, cursing was dialed down to a, a much lower percentage per sentence uh, compared to Miller. 
but there are so many commonalities between Norris and Robin and the best kind reason I want to just open the show sharing some love for Norris McDonald. He was old school as a motor racing reporter, a sports reporter, uh, to be honest, in a way that we don't have so much of these days. What do I mean by that? If you're a fan of whatever non-racing sport, I mean, I guess even motor racing, IndyCar, whatever it is, but if you're watching football, baseball, basketball, hockey, whatever, think about the post-game press conferences. Could be the head coach, could be a player, standing at the podium, sitting at the table, being addressed by the media. And what you usually get are these disembodied voices, traveling media, asking questions of the star athlete, the, the coach, whatever. And it's pretty apparent that in most cases, the reporters asking the questions are viewed as just that kind of, Hey, you ask questions. That's your deal. Uh, I do my thing. I bounce a ball, swing a bat, turn a steering wheel, whatever, but this is me. That's you. There's a decent amount of separation between us, not just physically, but also stature wise. You're not one of us. You have that somewhat rare breed of motor racing reporter, sports reporter of which Norris belonged. That's someone who was viewed as part of the family member in this case of the paddock. I think of most reporters again, they have passes like myself, hard card, annual credentials to get you into everywhere. So you can go anywhere, go to the garages, talk to whomever got all that, but it's a big difference in how you're received, whether you're received as, Oh, you're a reporter person. Cool. Whatever wall goes up, got to pull teeth to get information out of people or just, okay, you're here, but you're in the periphery. You're on the outside, not on the inside. That viewpoint is fairly prevalent. You have a Norris McDonald viewed as on the inside, one of us, a racer. And he was actually after what, 10, 15 years as a reporter decided to try his hand at racing super modifieds mostly it wasn't necessarily his thing right i don't think he'd ever proclaimed to be particularly talented but gave that a try got a feel for it helped informed his reporting knew what it was like to drive a race car also was involved on the team ownership side which certainly informed his reporting not only did that enrich his words his approach how he did things brought with him Something else that he, I think, will be remembered for the most. And this is why I place Norris, as I did Miller, in such a bit of a rarefied air among racing reporters. And that was, Norris was a steward of the sport. That can come with age, right? You get to be old, gray beard, whatever, and folks go, hey, you're the old person. You're the person to maybe talk in words and phrases and contextualizations that Maybe others can't, so we're handing you the baton of being a steward of the sport. Okay, that's cool. It's another thing, though, when you're someone like Norris who just acted in that way for so, so long, thinking of young drivers, young team owners, mechanics, Canada, Canadian, beloved son of Canada, and treated 
the Jimmy Hinchcliffs, the Paul Tracy's, the Scott Goodyear's run down the list of Canadian race car drivers. who you might know IndyCar could be sports cars, NASCAR Norris was someone who performed his job in a way where he always knew that a column shedding a spotlight on an up and coming driver wasn't going to enrich him was going to get any clicks majority of his work if not dang near all of it was in print newspaper and such but none of these things were done because it was going to deliver personal glory for him it was because he saw that james hinchcliffe of the 70s 80s 90s and so on and said hey i don't want to write a puff piece for the sake of it i really see talent here and this young driver deserves more attention deserves that spotlight this team is doing something special working so hard delivering great results could be a a manager could be an engineer could be whomever norris went about his work in a way for canadian motor racers where he was constantly trying to identify and uplift. It's a very different thing than a lot of reporters who are just looking for the latest clickbait, clout, whatever. It's a very different approach. That's why I miss a Robin Miller, miss now, sadly, a Norris McDonald, because he viewed himself in the paddock as a conduit for good, for strength and health of the sport. He wrote some spicy things. He tore some things down. He stirred the proverbial pot. But he came from a place where his love for the sport, his dedication to it, was immediately recognized by fellow racers. And he was embraced as such loved as such and in death the hinchcliffs the paul tracy's and so many others look back sure they did it before but now without question can look back and say without norris mcdonald my career not everything about it might have played out the way that it did without that interview without that column without that urging without that advice without telling others hey you seen this kid over here hey go go over to that team and ask for so-and-so and and meet this person really gonna like them special talking to sponsors saying hey over there don't miss out on this opportunity the urging and suggestions Without a Norris McDonald, Canadian motor racing, far poorer, fewer drivers who we've come to know and love, mechanics, engineers, and otherwise, gotten to where they have gotten in the sport. And so that's why I'm raising my beer to Norris. Inducted in 2013 to the Canadian Motorsport Hall of Fame, Perfectly so, the first journalist inducted to the Canadian Motorsport Hall of Fame. 
raising a beer, remembering Norris McDonald for being, yes, motor racing reporter. Yes, keyboards and words and ink. That was his trade. What he truly left behind? People, careers, families, trophies, celebrations of them aided in some way, shape, or form, as my father used to love to say, all because of his passion and effort and dedication as a steward of the sport. Last thing I want to mention here before we get rolling, whether you are person of God, person of faith, agnostic, someone who spirituality is something of value to you, whatever it might be, in whichever way you might want to focus that love and giving side of yourself to try and lend it, share it with someone who could use it. Have a longtime listener of the show, a friend by the name of Brian Kroll, who has been fighting cancer with all of his might. Brian lives in the Pacific Northwest, hoping to see him this past season at Portland, some setbacks with his particular cancer, hard, hard road he has been on for quite some time. He had some stickers made, sent them to me at Indianapolis in May for the 500. Some of those were available. Who knows? If you were there, you might have seen some or grabbed one just wanted to send some love and ask you in whatever capacity however you might do that through prayer or just closing your eyes and wishing the absolute best outcome for brian brian's brian's reaching one of those harder points in life where you do not know if there is very much road left front of you and part of having been in the cancer fight with my wife for the last five years is it's funny folks say i know i've had this happen too you break up with your whomever it is that you're in love with seems like the only things you hear on the radio (laughs) The moment after, the day after, and then weeks after, all the sad songs, right? Break up, it's nothing but sad songs. For whatever reason, uh, the universe sets a very different playlist for you. And I can say the same thing about being in the fight with cancer. And you come to know seemingly everybody in your orbit, whether it's a neighbor, colleagues, your profession, friends, in this case, with this podcast, I get to meet hundreds of you each year for the first time, have met thousands of you since it started, and in particular, when cancer became a a daily topic in our life, as it remains today, unfortunately, 
good folks like Brian who happen to love racing, love IndyCar racing, also find themselves spending their days doing their best to defeat cancer and stay alive for a little while longer, hopefully a lot longer, but at minimum a little while longer. Seem to get to know everybody in my immediate vicinity, even those who I've never met in person before like Brian, but we've become friends through Facebook, an email, listening of the show, something he says that it's one of the things that brings some joy, brings a break and relief, that of which I know a lot about of being in the middle of hard, hard times and needing to find things that take your mind somewhere else away from that thing that is weighing you down. So I want to say thank you to Norris McDonald for all that he has done, the lasting effects of that. And I hope there are more Canadian motor racing reporters that emerge because of him and more racing reporters in general who want to model themselves after a Norris or Robin Miller who really are looking for ways to help grow the sport, feed the sport, nourish the people in whatever ways they can, bring that ongoing vitality. And then to our friend Brian Kroll, who receives all my love and hopefully all yours because I know he needs it. And if and in whatever way you might feel comfortable, maybe you can think about our friend Brian Kroll. And send him some of yours. All right. We're going to do a little pew, 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 and get into your questions. Uh, thanks once again to our pal Jerry Sodeth for putting them together. And you know what we're going to do? We are going to start off on the good old tweeters. And why are we going to tweeters? Well, we're going to uh, Twitter slash X. It, I know it hasn't been Twitter for a little while, but is it okay if I still call it Twitter? X just, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's ever going to fit, but anyways, I should probably get with the times. Um, Cassie, our pal Cassie Johnston. She's going to lead off the show. Her question came in a little bit after... Jerry put the questions together for me, but hey, it's Cassie, also known as at mama underscore GForce on the good old tweeters, who you should be following, and who, for the multipleth time, is kicking off prukids.org, P-R-U-E-K-I-D-S dot org, raising funds yet again to support children in multiple states raising funds to make sure that kids who would not otherwise receive any gifts here for the holidays do indeed have something given. And thousands of dollars have already been raised. I would ask that if you're in a giving mood and you love IndyCar racing and you love kids and helping them, well, prukids.org, that might be a fine place to visit all thanks to Cassie. And because she is quadruple awesome, that's been certified by, I believe, every sanctioning body in the world, uh, she's going to open the show. She says, hey, MP, when a track has issues that cause car damage. Remember, like when James Hinch Cliff at Detroit uh, had some 
broken track kicked up and damaged his car. See the warm-up lane, drama, in the open test. Teams have a path to recoup some of the damage. Those costs that they have to put out to repair their cars, do they have a path to get some of that back from the series or the track or the promoter? Which is just considered the price of doing business. Guessing this might have been partially inspired, Cassie, by what Ferrari, at minimum, suggested was a price tag of at least a million dollars for the chassis and, and more damage done to Carlos Sainz's car in the aborted opening practice session for the Las Vegas Grand Prix? Usually, no. In average situations, it would be a no. Where this might veer in a slightly different direction is if we're looking at something specifically owned by IndyCar, Indianapolis Motor Speedway being one of them track surfaces coming up and causes damage to a car might be easier for a team owner to go to Penske entertainment and say, hi, we need to look at this as a different situation to resolve. Uh, what can we do here to have y'all at IndyCar to cover the damage? That's a bit different. It's an easier line of communication and potentially resolution, knowing that while well, Jay Fry, IndyCar president, is not the person who puts down the tarmac at a track owned by IndyCar, can certainly start off by going to Jay, can go to a Mark Miles, you can probably go straight to Roger Penske. And I have to believe at a Penske-owned or controlled track, and I realize citing Detroit as well would fall into that category, one promoted by Penske Entertainment. I think the possibilities are a lot greater, Cassie, in those instances. It's at a track owned or promoted by someone outside of IndyCar's hemisphere where might be a harder conversation to have fall in your favor. Not that there'd be sympathy lacking, but inevitably it's going to be a smaller, poorer company, one that might point to all kinds of waivers and whatnot that were signed, absolving the track of any blame of anything. A little bit easier to go straight to the owner or owners of IndyCar and say, okay, uh, driver smashes into my car in the heat of competition i get it my driver is probably going to hit someone from that team on their own at some point in time as well it's a bit of a wash a track-based failure that leads to more than a couple hundred dollars in damage that might be the case where you say yeah um we will just be sending the repair bills to you and don't call and argue about it. That's how I'd like to believe most of these things get resolved, even though the frequency is rather limited. Uh, why don't we kick into the questions assembled by Jerry here. This comes from quite a few folks. At More Than Ovals, 
uh javier javier chavez dell i might be killing that andrew miller asking similar things for the more than ovals question chosen to lead the group here says hey mp hope you're getting a fill of delicious seasonal treats you know we had a really delightful thanksgiving a little bit of a basic one not the more adventurous ones we've had in years past um jamaican or other choices but here's one thing i can tell you thank goodness i am married to a southern woman because her ability to turn things that would otherwise be kind of plain and uninspired and add oh heavenly heavenly flavor real stick your old foot in it type seasoning and flavor um yeah wow uh lord if i am ever able to earn enough money to say you know i I think a restaurant we'll call it break even because if we can do that then i guess that would feel like winning since most restaurants fail but uh yeah her ability to make things that taste amazing is just otherworldly so yes thank you uh question here what constitutes the grounds of this quote new major event Mark Miles mentioned on Monday on the EPAR trade interview, uh, what constitutes the grounds for that new major event being different from what IndyCar F1 and NASCAR already offer? Examples would be the Nashville Grand Prix, Las Vegas Grand Prix, Chicago race. What else could they do? Well, great question. Nashville, that is certainly the big new thing. IndyCar has uncorked since Penske Entertainment bought everything coming into the 2020 season. Nashville debuting in what, 2021? Uh, That's been the new event, the new counts for points motor race. I know that we're going to the Thermal Club, which is new as well, but that's not an actual IndyCar round. Uh, until what's coming here next year no tv on it no spectators so again not criticizing it just saying that it might be a new venue we're going to but it lacks all the things other than tv really that would be considered something that grows or attracts interest at something new but really nashville is the one thing this past season was its third running best so far fantastic moving to a new downtown base or primarily based uh layout for 2024 so that's great the differentiator here talking about new major event there are questions of where that might be no reported i don't know year or two ago whatever it was that denver there's a possibility of something in denver downtown street type race there's a hope that there might be something in the northeast somewhere and there's some other venues where indycar is very popular uh but races have never been held and we'd be talking about street races but what would constitute something new and major something that gets folks excited and interested about it who aren't indycar fans that's how i look at it going back to milwaukee If you're an IndyCar fan, that's great. Love it. Zillion-year-old history, 
all the wonderful things, amazing, amazing past to draw from for the Milwaukee event. For folks who don't know much about IndyCar, eh, hey, IndyCar is going back to a place they used to go to, and it failed the last couple of times they tried. Uh, that might not be something that has a person who's been on the fence about going to an IndyCar race decide, oh, gotta book a flight, get my tickets. I'm going to be there, soak in every moment of it. You look at a Nashville, and again, three years ago, three seasons ago, uh, that was a thing. I don't know if I'd say it ever really exploded in terms of fans. We're hoping that's going to change as the season finale next September. Love the concept of a Nashville that we've run. The name is great. Town is great. Music City and all of that was not bursting with fan viewing areas, right? Pretty restricted. More than half of the track kind of out and away. No grandstands, no real viewing, right? So a little wonky in that way, but... Even in the areas where grandstands were put up, eh, you know, one, one and a half that were decently full. But so again, I'm not trying to criticize it just for the sake of being critical, but saying for what it has been so far, it would not classify as an explosive success. Hoping all that changes, but it's fourth running wouldn't land with a lot of folks as a big new major thing in the way that this las vegas grand prix the miami grand prix and the nascar chicago street race did land and so again i am not looking at these types of major new events and what would really kill from a what's going to make the existing fan base go wow we're gonna be there we're going to watch. They got us. We're already on the hook. So that's not the measurement that I am looking at. It's the, hey, I've never been to an F1 race before, but this Las Vegas Grand Prix sounds incredible, and the costs are outrageous, and I might not be able to finish college because I just took my tuition or whatever it is. Hey, I might not be able to pay the mortgage, but I was at the inaugural las vegas strip grand prix 40 years or whatever after the inaugural one was held but regardless miami as well something where you go this is it feels like a cultural happening that leaps out of our condensed world of indycar fandom and is making headlines outside of it's called the endemic, the endemic outlets, the dedicated motor racing outlets. Is this something where the bigger outlets, the bigger television stations, online outlets, whatever, are going, hey, this is a thing. And wow, they're going where? They're doing what? That's what I'm looking for. I think that is what most would be looking for. This is critical of IndyCar, but it's just speaking the truth. Even Nashville, for all of its desired explosive success, which is yet to happen, it did not move the needle 
when it went off first time, second time, or third time, putting a ton of faith in the fourth one, actually moving the needle. What's going to do that for IndyCar? It's not going to be Milwaukee. Hope it works. Hope it stays forever. Fantastic. We're going back to a place that's very familiar. Got it. What is the thing to break through? So that, to me, is the real answer to the question. What thing, what event can IndyCar come up with or have presented to it and then agree to and go forward with that is going to break out of our little insular world and get others to go, hey, I am not an IndyCar person. I don't know a lot about it. I Hell, I don't know anything about it, but I'm going there. That looks cool. That's a party or it's a cultural happening. Hey, uh, do celebrities want to go? And I know that's a pretty thin measurement of whether something's good and a breakout affair, but when you have folks feeling compelled the wealthy and high profile saying, Hey, Jesus, I feel like I need to be there for this. I would not want to miss it. Those are the kinds of things that resonate with much bigger, wider pools of people. And ultimately that's everything IndyCar is looking for. Great product. We love it. The racing's phenomenal. The drivers are great. All the things we know. So few people when compared to the other sports that we love, know it exists, pay attention, turn it on, or buy tickets and show up. In comparison, IndyCar is still a tiny version of what it once was in terms of popularity and national awareness. So for those of us who are fortunate to have lived and been in the middle of and loved when IndyCar was a raging success in the clear number one form of racing in the United States, in North America. All we want, all the teams, many of them who are there for it as well, and some of the folks who run IndyCar as well, are wanting and trying to do is to get it. I don't know if we'll ever go all the way back, but we've been there. <laughs> to close here, I think of IndyCar like this amazing band, which was monstrous, monster success for so long and has faded into kind of sort of obscurity. Still there, but not many folks know they're still touring. But the songs, most popular songs, our case, Indy 500, still a known thing. Those who were fans of the band back then just still love it like you wouldn't believe and just want that band because it's not, while IndyCar is old, still younger drivers and there's a more youthful, diverse vibrancy about it as well. Want it to get back to being that big thing. You know, we're playing smaller venues want to get back to stadiums giant stadiums where it belongs and so that to me that's the bar of measurement what constitutes a new major event something where you go hey 
all right i either forgot that band existed or i didn't even know they were around but yeah you got a new fan sign me up what is that thing i am so hopeful that that indeed is something that can come to pass in 2025 and beyond uh caleb whistler you say hey it's at epar trade race industry week uh, was there anything that stuck out to you during your conversations with mark miles and jay fry yes many uh, sorry have a little more of the dragon's milk reserve lord that's good need to get a couple of the things from the miles conversation spun out into stories caleb for those who weren't able to listen in or watch on the good old YouTube or racer.com uh we got into some minutiae love doing that talked about leader circle the formation creation of a charter franchise type system which is something indycar endeavors to do at a, another recent round of meetings and so spoke about that that was interesting conversation with jay about hybrids today asked the question i've been asked so many times in recent weeks or months other reporters asked as well hey we going hybrid next year like i know it's it's been announced but there sure are a lot of questions as to whether it's really going to happen and i always love to hear a yes uh, a declarative yes when you ask a question like that and i don't know if i got that and i'm not saying the lack of a loud bold yes is the signs of bad things and whatever but again i i i do like things <laughs> that you want to be black and white as can be to be just that and when they're a little gray a little fuzzy little non-committal um yeah uh so i'm clicking here find the transcript from the interview and my interwebs are going a little bit slow so bear with me uh why don't i type in hybrid let's see what we get back uh are we going hybrid next year is was the question uh jay said there's a lot of really really smart people that are working really really hard to get this thing done and we're confident uh all of us including the guys who know internally that we're going to get this done so paraphrasing a little bit because most folks don't speak in perfect quotes but everything that i know that jay said is accurate they are working like mad trying to resolve ongoing issues you would expect with any major new piece of technology and they're doing everything in their power to get this across the finish line to go hybrid starting in st petersburg so if you consider the fact that about a year into making this happen year is a long time for stuff like this not really so yeah the fact that we're here essentially at december and we are meant to be going green 
going motor racing at St. Petersburg early March, knowing that there's meant to be testing that takes place before that as well. Um, right. We're going green on March 5th. December, January, February. It's effectively three months. We're loading into St. Pete. Just need a lot of things to go right in order to mass produce the units and get them out and testing in everybody's cars to prepare for going hybrid at St. Pete. Since you have to work through those bugs, hope that everything gets resolved and everything's working wonderfully to allow that to happen. Maybe that's why you don't say and yell it to the mountaintops that we are, yes, going hybrid. So I understand the answer. Critical of it. Of course, wanted to hear declarative yes, but having heard some of the ongoing efforts to get everything to a place of full and consistent functionality, I can understand why we got that answer. So that probably stands out the most, Caleb. Uh, Andrew Miller, Charles Napier, you also asked a similar question. See, apparently a good deal of road course hybrid testing going on in December. Is this team getting a chance to play with the hybrids themselves, or is this still strictly manufacture and series-directed testing on bugs and fixes and whatnot? Um, know that we have next week, I think early part of next week, might be three days, I believe, Homestead, IndyCar returning to Homestead. Not the big oval, but the road course. Uh, and then I've heard there's at least one day shortly before Christmas on Sebring Short Course, which is where a lot of testing has taken place as well. And not sure if I'm missing where else might be going, but this is all, for now, 100% series and manufacturer testing this is what i was just mentioning on trying to get through some issues and hopefully hit the track and have no issues and hit another track and have no issues and take a big sigh of relief big breath going okay looks like we're in a good and happy place this is where IndyCar has been trying to get for a while. And that is the somewhat hard place they've been trying to find, have yet to, but hope to. Um, you also say any clue about how many more weeks it'll be before you can publish the multi-part How IndyCar Will Use Hybrids article that presumably is sitting in your drafts with a lot of TBDs and tbcs and wtfs you a you're hilarious andrew and b i don't recall seeing you look over my shoulder but yeah uh you might have uh seen that exact thing um going to need to get through the next couple of tests before some of those to be determined uh to be figured out are going to be figured out and determined. So 
lot of the questions that I have posed to IndyCar recently on this topic are ones that they could not answer. Not because they don't want to, but because need to get through a couple more weeks before that's possible. So, yeah. Uh, I do have a lot to work on, though. Uh, you, you got me there. Uh, let's see. Why don't we go to Eric Franklin? You say, with the hybrid units going into the bell housing, is there any concern with the weight distribution uh, leading to rear-end impacts like we saw with the early IRL cars? Indy Racing League. Seem to recall that the bell housing weight and stiffness contributed to the problem of the cars flipping ends, going into the wall, uh, tail first, causing a lot of back issues. Yeah, and like crazy concussions. Um, that was back then uh, due almost entirely to the chosen vendor for the transmissions. And they. If you look at a open wheel racing transmission sports car as well, tend to notice a lot of fins, a lot of ribbing. Uh, you'll notice that there's a lot of machining that goes on or in the castings that are made. Uh, there are the strengthening bits, right? That help create the, torsional rigidity and longitudinal rigidity and right do all the things there but wherever weight wherever material is not needed either through the casting those molds or if it's just being machined that's all material that's removed and so you not only take away excess material aluminum titanium magnesium whatever it is also tends to help in a crash you think of it in a accordion effect and it's not like it truly compacts just like an accordion but braking and decelerating is made possible with how the case transmission case deforms when it's being smashed into a wall those original 1997, 98-ish uh, transmissions did not have any of that weight relief, any of that pocketing. They were giant, massive lumps of metal that were like battering rams. And so not only were the cars rear heavy, as you mentioned, yet I know this having worked on them and, and whatnot, uh, not only were they super rear heavy, but in a rearward impact, they did not crush and absorb energy, take away G's uh, from being transmitted to the driver's back, neck, brain. And so what we had, sadly, a lot of crashes where pre-attenuator, the attenuator was created in reaction to this exact problem. Uh, something to try and do some energy dissipation and speed deceleration to help the driver. Uh, that was born out of knockouts. I uh, recall Indy 500 1997, which was my first I've been practice qualifying. It seemed like there was just this ongoing string of rearward crashes 
think the Foyt team might have had, I don't know how many, but it was just knockout after knockout after knockout. And it was just rifling through drivers because it wasn't just like, hey, feeling a little woozy, but give me a day or two and I'll be fine. It was like, go to sleep. Like, wow. And so that was like dang near epidemic level and therefore the response to it and the lightning of the gearbox cases and making them more deformable in an impact that became a high priority which ensued along with the implementation of attenuators not the case with what we have coming in 2024 eric with the energy recovery systems that are in the bell housing why couple things the early iterations the early early versions crazy amount of rear end weight and yes destroyed the rear tires and yeah was a nightmare to drive huge effort put in by chevrolet honda ilmore honda performance development to get the call it final ers unit designed down to a crazier much lighter package indycar with delara and also with its gearbox vendor x-track have contributed mightily by changing out the aluminum bell housing that is the item that bridges connects the transmission to the engine within that bell housing it's where the clutch lives and some other goodies but that's where the ers unit lives that's been aluminum since forever with the Delar dw12 new for 2024 those are magnesium so cut and weight wouldn't say the bell housings were like crazy heavy to begin with but it's a nice weight saving extract has done the same with magnesium casing for the transmission that as well a really nice weight savings so yes there is more weight at the back of the car because of the ers unit but with the drive line and chassis componentry that has been lightened through going to a much lighter metal that has helped considerably along with the weight savings done by all the parties making the ers unit so for what is hitting the track next year uh not really much of a thing now that's the word from testing tell me your thoughts after 500 miles at indianapolis tell me your thoughts after 95 or however many laps at long beach might be a slightly different opinion but at least so far I mean, drivers aren't saying you can't feel it at all. Of course they can, but it's not the showstopper in terms of weight and the rear of the car being just swinging everything like a crazy pendulum like it did in the early days of hybrid testing. Um, yeah. Close here by saying, also have three letters to solve the issue of knowing when the hybrid system is engaged. L-E-D. Yeah, that was a question uh, question asked to uh, our pal Jay Fry today as well. And uh, sadly, 
no LEDs coming with the hybrid system. So I, I think I hear all of you booing right now. Um, let's fire through the remaining questions and let's see where are we at in the show. Oh, hey. All right. We're going to try and rocket through as much as we can here and then let you all back to your lives. Uh, we're going to go to Andy Bauer. Any thoughts on the Flat Rock Motorsports Park being built in Tennessee? It's a potential addition to a future calendar. IndyCar is often mentioned in news articles as being a potential user of the facility. You know, going to a track always involves that track calling up IndyCar and exploring inter- or expressing interest. I'm curious if you've heard anything about mutual interest in 2025 and beyond. My guess is we're in a old school Jerry Maguire, show me the money type deal. Um, IndyCar, the perception that I'm getting, Andy, is doing more of what I've been hoping it would, pleading for here through the podcast and written whatever for many years now. And that is hold yourself to a higher opinion of yourself. If you're willing to go anywhere and try anything, even if it's in places where you go, okay, I mean, yeah, uh, New Orleans, NOLA Park, okay, I got it. We can try that. I don't know if there's a lot of fans. I mean, New Orleans is amazing, but we're going to flood NOLA with 100,000 fans? I'd be happy if we got 10,000. But, uh, hey, hold yourself to a higher state of of self-worth. Be more selective in where you go. I think that might be more of a, a driving premise here, Andy. When I think about where and what IndyCar might be doing in terms of calendar dates, 2025 and beyond, would that rule out a flat rock motorsports park? No, but going to a new road course without a big built in audience, that's the kind of thing where you look really small and unimportant. And that's the thing I've been asking IndyCar to please stop doing to itself, going to places that make you look small and unimportant. And at least until a flat rock motorsports park has big crowds showing up, supporting events and IndyCar can look big and important and get a serious payday for it. I'd say it would be a challenge to think that that would be a, a place that would land on the calendar at the expense of another venue. Now, granted, there are a couple on the calendar, even my home race at Laguna Seca, where you go, uh, I know you're getting a pretty decent sanction fee. Don't look that strong and important, though. There are a couple that could be cleaved from the calendar to make way. But again, would you trade a place where you have 10,000 folks show up on race day for a different place that has 10,000 folks show up on race day and it's a big sprawling property? I'd hope not. Uh, Daniel Ingleton, MP, best wishes to you and the family. Thank you. Say, Ryan Hunter Ray's 2012 win feels like a long time ago. It was. Say, which teams and drivers do you think are best placed to break this streak? And what improvements do they need for 2023 season to usurp the big two perennial title winners? Talking about 
It's been since 2012, since a non-Penske, non-Ganassi driver champion has been crowned. What do I think they need to do for improvements? Oh, boy. Uh, I'm trying to think of who would be the closest to step in and really, truly do that. What were the teams that ran closest to Penske, closest to Ganassi? Say, Ray Hall, Adam, and Lanigan, Errol McLaren, Dreddy Global. I was about to say Autosport. I should drink some more beer. That way I'll just definitely say Andretti Autosport. Here's the thing. We believe Colton Herta has the speed and talent to be a champion. And by we, I mean me. We need to see demonstration of that. I believe the highest he's placed in the championship was third. It's been a couple years. Last few years, ninth, tenth, something like that in the championship. Uh, way down from where we'd expect him to be. The team... It's not like he had a teammate who was finishing third and he fell back to 10th. So the team has taken some steps back. Downsizing to three cars definitely think is going to help them. Enough so, though, to knock a whole bunch of Penske and Ganassi drivers out of the way to become champion next year? That feels like a stretch. Kyle Kirkwood showed last season, hey, this guy's got the goods. Marcus Erickson should do some winning next season as well. Do I think Andretti's going to go from finishing like best driver being what, ninth or 10th last season to first in a span of 12 months? I can't see how that happens. Why? You'd have to have Team Penske completely lose their way and Chip Ganassi completely lose their way two teams top most dominating teams for more than 10 years now forget how to do their jobs at the high level they have so could i see andretti if they found a heck of bunch more speed at really good improvements in qualifying last season race day more spotty than not um that would be, it wouldn't just be them getting way faster. It would involve those other two big teams face planting. That doesn't seem possible in the span of one season. So I don't know how that happens there. Aaron McLaren, it's going to be an interesting one, right? Go from having trusted partnership of Pato Award and Felix Rosenqvist adding in Alexander Rossi evolution there year to year. Alexander Rossi's hand pick race engineer first ballot hall of famer, Craig Hampson, as I'd love to refer to him leaves the end of the season. Felix whose technical feedback uh, input on the chassis side, engineering side, engine side as well. Like, rave about how good and how much he gives that's now lost david malukas that kid can drive the wheels off of a race car taking over felix's car enough so though in his third indycar season where 
he can elevate the team? Great question. I think that might be a lot to ask for him coming in. Last season, with a first-year race engineer, he and that race engineer did some really impressive things. David now being the team leader at Dale Coyne Racing among the drivers. But we also saw, as you would expect for a sophomore IndyCar driver, paired with a rookie IndyCar race engineer, it was a total sine wave. Boom and bust and boom and bust and boom and bust. That's what happens, right? Get it right 50% of the time, get it wrong the other 50. Would I expect David to be better and sharper, providing stronger feedback here? Sure, of course. Definitely a, a deeper engineering core at Aaron McLaren, no question, but I know that I thought Alexander Rossi was going to be more of a threat in his debut with the team than he was. I know the team is looking for him to become that if Pato can't win, you're winning for us type guy. I know I expect David to impress more often than he did last season with a smaller team, but I don't know if I expect him to be challenging Pato for polls and wins. It was a team that went winless last year. Pato was pretty darn consistent, landed on a ton of podiums. Looking for a lot of things from all three drivers at Era McLaren, Daniel, for them to potentially push deeper into that Penske-Ganassi domination. Do I see that in one year? If it's going to happen, I think it's going to be Pato. He's going to have to find something in himself, which he's still young enough to where he can, where he's got good, consistent speed, lots of podiums, lots of podiums with no wins, not going to get the job done. Not when you're going up against Alex Pillow, Scott Dixon, Linus Lundqvist kid. I know he's a rookie, but that guy should be pretty darn quick. Joseph Newgarden, Will Power, Scott McLaughlin, best performer of them all at Penske. It's a lot of names for Pato to knock off. Coming off of a winless season for the team where underperformed. Realize that they fared better than Andretti Global. Still, it feels like they still got some distance to go to have a realistic reason to believe they are championship bound. The final one is Ray Hall and Lanigan Racing. Happy to see Pietro Fittipaldi's there. Graham Rahal really found a couple extra gears to close out the second half of the championship. Christian Lundgaard, though, until we see evidence of his teammates being able to displace him routinely in qualifying and in the races, that's their top performer. He was not only in the championship last season, but he pushed into the top 10 ahead of all of Andretti's drivers. Lundgaard? Again, great potential. Is he going from, like, what, eighth in the championship last season, I think, to P1? Yeah, I'll put him in the same category 
as I did with the Andretti drivers. You'd have to see Penske and Ganassi fail repeatedly for that to be possible. I just don't know if that seems realistic, Daniel. So that's what I got for you there. There's one variable to throw in that is new for us to consider. Might have already discussed this on the podcast before. And that is, so Team Penske is the same going into next season. No changes. If anything, they should be better. Why? Willpower, brutally tough year on a personal level. His wife, Liz, fighting really nasty, lingering, long-standing medical issues. As you would expect, Will's focus often taken far away from the racetrack. We by no means saw the best version of himself. They're in a way better place. We should have unaffected willpower back. The Ganassi side, that is not a stronger team than it was in 2023. We'll see how much different it is. But we know that we're going from a three-driver rotation that can, could, and did win, that being Marcus Erickson, Scott Dixon, champion Alex Pillow, to a five-car team where now only two of those drivers have won races, much less won championships. I know that Marcus Erickson winning the 8500 is a huge thing, and I realize that, well, he led the championship last season, season before, and, right, did some really good things. Might not have been the contenderiest of title contenders in the most hardcore of ways from beginning of the season till the end, but always kept him in the mix, super consistent, really good on the ovals. Again, that's a three driver points scoring menace what is this going to look like in 2024 with two rookies in Linus and also Kiffin Simpson a sophomore driver in Marcus Armstrong brand new to ovals you lose your oval depth You've got real youth to build on. And again, I think Linus is going to be special. I won't be surprised if he wins a race next season. He is not, at least for what I expect, going to be that third constant terror component like they've had the last couple years. There's another aspect we cannot forget. And that is Alex Pillow. 2022, when things got ugly between himself and the Ganassi team, it affected him. He says it affected him. We saw it in his performances. 2022, coming off his first championship, uh, boy, it took until things got resolved with the team. Final race of the year in Monterey for Pelot to not only just get his first win, but look like Alex Pelot. Had some stuff earlier in the year. Looked pretty good. But again, Indy 500 obviously was pretty darn good there too. But for the most part, 2022 is an off season, especially and most heavily when there was crazy off track lawsuit stuff going on. Hey, that lawsuit stuff he's going through right now 
is 10 times as nasty as it was in 2022. McLaren Racing is going after everything he owns. They are suing him for amounts of money. Whether they get all of it or not, can't tell you. Seems like a fantastical number, but regardless, even if they get half of it, if they get a third of what they're looking for, that still represents many, many, many years of Alex's income. Depending on the timeline, assuming McLaren wins this lawsuit, which I'm told is expected to drag out as long as 18 months. This has the potential to force Alex to sell a lot of his belongings. I'm not just talking about fun stuff like cool cars and whatever else. Uh, The dogs playing poker painting he has framed over the pool table. Uh, Formed a racing team. His father runs Formula 3 team. Um, I don't know how many houses he owns or whatever. Just saying, depending on how this plays out, this could throw him into financial calamity darn near immediately and for many years to come. At least for how it would affect me, my brain would be screwed. I hope that isn't what happens to him. But we've seen what a, by comparison, much nicer lawsuit and threat from his own Ganassi team did. Took him off of his game. We've seen what far more important and serious off-track concerns as Will Power went through did to take him off of his game last season. Fully justified and understood. We'll see what happens. But I would say, knowing how things have only ramped up, gotten worse, gotten nastier, and knowing how McLaren's resolve is one of, no, we're not settling. Nope, we're not trying to do anything that ends this swiftly or easily. Knowing that there will probably be depositions and this filing and that filing, and this will probably be something that is item that doesn't go away and is consuming a lot of time each month. Concerned how this might affect Alex as we saw it affect him in a much friendlier circumstance in 2022. So when we look at this to close, Daniel, Penske should be a raging monster with its three drivers. Ganassi has the potential to be a raging monster with two and a half to three of its drivers. We know Dixon will. Need him to get off to a faster start than he's gotten the last couple of years, but we know Dixon will be there. We think Lundqvist is going to be really good. Can only count on him being a half contributor at this point until he shows us evidence that he can be a badass everywhere inconsistently. We know Pelot can certainly, based on talent and the team around him on that number 10 car, go get another championship. All the ingredients are there, but how will the off-track items affect him? So, yeah, 
I don't see Ganassi in the same level of strength as I do Penske, but as long as you got Dixon, uh, he's done it pretty much with, he's won championships without help multiple times. Um, hard to see how the others break through even a slightly destabilized Ganassi, but also I would say an even stronger Penske. Jake Ward. Uh, let's see. You got a question about Graham Rahal's qualifying improvements. I'm going to table that for the next one, Jerry, if you can throw that in. Uh, our pal Ryan VB18. How you doing, pal? Uh, in case you didn't know, uh, we really appreciate you and your passion for racing is not only amazing. Um, Ryan's a young college student pursuing motorsports engineering excellence degree there in good old indianapolis um he's also one of the great great glue people loves racing brings people together brings warmth and charm member of the prude listener group along with cassie and so many other awesome folks here uh so yeah just a little extra love because you know you deserve it and hey it's my podcast so i can say these things uh you say hope your wonderful wife as well thank you by the way we uh looking forward to thursday uh, we'll spend most of the day in the city getting uh, imaging done and uh soon as that is processed and read by our oncologist uh, really truly looking forward to uh, learning how uh, our return to the cancer fight uh, how that's going and how well the chemo is working and what amount of the cancer has been defeated. So, yeah, um, cannot wait. I've uh, been waiting for us to be able to get this scheduled and done for a while. So, yeah, uh, fingers, toes, and everything else crossed. Um, so this week's question, does Callum Eilat have a genuine shot at any of the remaining IndyCar seats? Not that I know of, Ryan. Uh, been communicating with our guy the last day or two uh while he's traveling to the middle of the east um i have a pretty good feeling of what his racing season is going to be next year there would need to be some new developments to add indycar to that i'm not trying to be too cryptic but Part of this job involves when folks tell you, hey, this is what's happening, but keep it to yourself, dummy. You kind of got to keep it to yourself, dummy. Um, not that I know of. Dale Coyne, I think he's going to end up with a well-funded driver in his second entry, and I know that he is looking at a lot of, of options for the headlining car, if you want to call it that, um, for many years now, uh, this isn't betraying any confidence. It's just part of, part of this job, or at least how I do the job. Um, Dale reaches out usually at least once a year, often around this time and says, Hey, got my eye on this driver, that driver, uh, often a driver or two, maybe even three who are competing in European racing series. And, asks if I have their number and if not, if I might be able to get it and share it. 
and can say that there were two drivers of specific interest to Dale. Uh, I've gotten the number for one and shared that, and I'm waiting on my friend who knows the other driver for that driver to communicate with them and potentially share their number and communications would then commence. Asked Dale in that call here on Monday, think you're going to have those drivers signed and announced before the end of the year? And he was very, very bullish and confident in his answer of yes. So don't know exactly where we're going to end up on both. If I were to hear that Stingray Rob is back, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Heard some positive things about them continuing, possibly. I know that's been mentioned many times before, so that should not come as any kind of surprise. But again, I would be surprised if they end up continuing. Um, but yeah, who would be considered the go out and get podiums and maybe wins in a Bourdais, Groschon, Malukas, whomever type role? I think that. The one that's going to take just a little bit longer to determine. I am not aware of Callum being the person the coin team is thinking of for that seat. Other team with potential vacancies is Foyt, but I don't really think that's going to be where we end up unless some things change. So not that I know of, but I do know, told us this, said it on the record, um... He's doing all he can to try and be an IndyCar however he can in 2024. Really wants to try and make something full-time happen again for 25. I do think, although we don't know if he will be competing in the motor races he is at, uh, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Callum Eilat at IndyCar events in that, hey, I'm here, and I got my helmet, and uh got my seat, and... If there's a need, I'm here, but let's also talk, right? Hey, let's keep talking. Get to know me. Who knows? Maybe we could do something next year. Um, coming back to Daniel's question about teams that might break that Ganassi and Penske championship string since 2013, mentioning the McLaren side. Other than Pato, everybody else on the roster might not be on that roster in 2025 if really impressive things fail to happen. I am fully aware, no question, that McLaren has an eye on iLot. That was meant to be a bad pun or whatever, but that's how it worked out, so please forgive me. Um, in the... Change of circumstances for Callum at Hunkos Hollinger Racing, knowing that a commercial relationship between Aero McLaren and Hunkos Hollinger has been created. One of the disappointments in that I'm aware of on the McLaren side is not getting the chance to have a firsthand look at Ilot from the inside. Again, as I've been told, there's no real technical arrangement between McLaren and JHR. 
next season. Does it mean there'd be nothing whatsoever? No. I mean, do I expect Aaron McLaren to be handing Hunko's Hong a racing setup sheets? No. Do I think they're going to be going testing or sharing testing information and that kind of stuff? Sure. It's more through that where I know McLaren really wanted to get a look at the finer points of Eilat's working style, how he makes his speed, what he does in the car, all those things, because, hey, end of 2024, they might be in the market for one driver or more. While they won't, at least for now, get the chance to do that through this relationship with Hunko's Hollinger Racing, would say that as I look to 2025, based on the results of 2024, McLaren might be one of the stronger outposts uh, to want to bring Ilot into the family. Um, some other things, too, I'm aware of that might help Ilot's chances in 25 with another team, but need to keep that to myself. Uh, Andrew Campbell asking if... Uh, Aware of anything developing for Jack Harvey? Not that I know of. I keep hearing 8,500 appearance might be the best chance for him. Uh, no, he was in the mix or among those on Dale Coyne's list. Don't know if I would place Jack high enough on that list to think that a seat there is something that would happen, though. I'd love for it to be the case. Love that kid, great kid, everything that's that's great about American Open Wheel Racing. Uh, so I'm rooting for him. Just would need some things to change, I guess, whatever those might be for him to uh, be on pole position to land there. Um, why don't we go to Casey Coolidge? Hey, Marshall, Scotty McLaughlin, Augustine Canapino were both thrown in the deep end. Uh, an IndyCar where Ernie Francis Jr.'s opportunity was to develop in Indy NXT. Has this potentially hurt his career versus jumping in the deep end also? Uh, oh, completely. I mean, barring something that I'm unaware of, um, Ernie's days... Sorry, let me turn the microphone. Fixing a little something here beneath the desk. Uh, Ernie's days in Junior Open Wheel are done. And... I hate that, but McLaughlin, super limited open wheel experience. I think Augustine had none, basically. Difference, though, older, ton more experience. So big transition, but they'd worked in at pretty high levels. With Scotty's situation, a younger-ish guy compared to Augustine, but he was at the top level in V8 supercars, and being in that environment just levels you up like you wouldn't believe. V8's a higher level than Argentinian Touring Car Series, but uh, still, Augustine's such a crazy veteran. Just, right, came into IndyCar at very different levels than Ernie. Ernie won a million championships in Trans Am. And again, all phenomenal. Nothing remotely close to the level of professionalism uh, and depth 
that you would find at a top V8 team, right? Basically, IndyCar level, um, even though touring cars versus open wheel, the quality of the paddock, the best teams are all, again, you could take them straight to IndyCar, and they do exceptionally well. Maybe not as close as Argentinian or Argentinian touring cars wouldn't be as close, but still really, really high level. Very limited cases of that in Trans Am. So you would have Ernie with actually more open wheel experience than those other two, knowing that he did the, uh, what season of Formula Regional Americas? Or was it F3? I forget. But did that, did fairly well. Might have been a little more than a season, but regardless, he'd have more open wheel, but career developmentally many levels below those other two and so what we got was a kid who was chucked not into indy pro 2000 which is where i would have loved for him to land to really get a feel for bigger downforce better grip and all that kind of stuff chucked straight into indy lights and despite having a lot of talent he also did really well, I thought, to close out 2022, showed big gains. In 2023, I thought we saw some really decent gains as well. And yet, not every driver who's phenomenal in touring cars, GTs, or prototypes translates to kind of that Indy Lights, NXT, Indy Car type level, and vice versa. It's not, I don't say this because they share an ethnicity it's just one of the bigger cases that i have cited for many years that being dear pal willie t ribs willie t was a giant in gt cars tube frame trans am light crazy power but lots of body roll minimal aerodynamics chuck him in a trans am car imsa gto the guy would destroy you move him into IMSA GTP, which he did with All-American Racers. Now we have crazy speed, crazy downforce, much less body roll and movement. And he he went from being dominating, devastating to really, really, really good, but not devastatingly so. Get to IndyCar, really good almost never with a great, great team, but really, really good, but never devastatingly so. So I've cited that for 20 years of, look, if we're talking talent, just pure talent, forget the type of racing, just how much you got. Willie T is blessed with more than dang near any driver I've ever seen, but it didn't translate to every type of car. I would not accuse Ernie Francis Jr. as being as talented as Willie T, but I saw him, was impressed by what he was able to do in NXT, but I did not see anything throughout the season to say he is going to become a title contender with another year of NXT or two more years or three I saw someone who did super well, but 
was not truly at that place where he could go out and drive super open, super free, and wipe the floor with everybody. So if we're talking about Ernie Francis, who'd spent five, six, seven years in IMSA GT Daytona with a top factory type team or DPI, something like that, where you go, whoa, that team's fearsome. Had he been with Wayne Taylor Racing for five, six, seven years and then tried NXT, I'd go, Phew, yeah, huh. uh, this kid would show up at a similar level to a Scotty McLaughlin in terms of a starting point. Just wasn't the case. Crazy expectations placed on him. I thought he dealt with it exceptionally well. Uh, not every driver is meant to kick ass in the biggest and fastest open wheel cars. Uh, Simon Roffey say Elton Julian showed interest in IndyCar a few years ago with his dragon speed team. You know what happened to them? Yeah. They continue racing in sports cars. Uh, Elton rang maybe two weeks ago. Love that guy, by the way. Um, yeah, we talked about some drivers. Um, yeah, he, they, the team has continued, uh, in Europe, uh, done super well. LMP two has been the place where they've really done big things. European Le Mans series, uh, I think is where they've been focused primarily. Uh, a couple years ago, they won, I think back to back, uh, Rolex 24s and the LMP two class. So yeah, still, and continues to be a great team. Um, but yeah, they added IndyCar. Um, they've never given up what they've done in sports cars. So that's continued along. Uh, Austin Taylor. I'm looking here and I got to get going. I still have about 40% of my beer left. Hey, Marshall, where do you see Sebastian Weldon in the next couple of years? And do you see him making it all the way to IndyCar? Well, the potential seems to be there. I actually spoke with Sebastian today, interviewed him when mom, <laughs> right after mom brought him home from school. I love that. It truly, it's like my first interview with a kid, like getting home from, I don't know, uh, junior high or whatever it might be. Um, interviewed Susie and Sebastian and spoke about that. Uh, he just won his first championship, the Skip Barber Racing School Open Wheel Championship. A lot of phenomenal drivers have raced in that series over the years, gone on to big things. I don't know. Joseph Newgarden comes to mind. Uh, Ross Chastain. Who else? Uh, Sergio Perez. I mean, you can go back forever. Just huge, huge amounts of crazy talent that's come through um, that series. So just won his first car racing championship coming straight out of cart. So did that in his first season really clearly obviously talented as is his younger brother oliver could i see him making it to indycar of course if everything continues in the direction that it's been going as a result of winning the skip barber championship graduation to the usf juniors series is the prize told me they haven't decided yet on what they're doing, whether it's that or maybe, who knows, uh, going to USF 2000. Again, I'm not totally sure. Could it be another series somewhere else? Not sure, but 
he's got the support of Michael Andretti, Dan Taurus, Andretti Global, Gainsbridge. It's pretty amazing for a 14-year-old. Um, he's doing everything, Austin, you would want to see done by a kid his age and at the formative levels of junior open wheel racing is the talent in skip barber racing series as stiff as usf juniors usf 2000 and so on absolutely not not even close but somebody has to win that championship he did that he's got good support behind him clearly there's some family talent he can draw from can't wait to see where he goes also i sure as heck hope no one else in his world is pushing him to go as quickly as he can to try and get to indycar i know his mom isn't just saying i hope there's nobody else trying to say hey Let's get you to IndyCar by some, by 17, eight. There is no reason to rush. If you got talent, develop it properly, put them in the best situations, get them in sports cars before too long here, build more knowledge, round out your skill set. Looks like he's got something. He comes into junior open wheel racing with more love and support than almost anybody I can think of. Because for those of us who knew Dan and loved Dan as a friend, to those who knew him as a fan and loved him as a fan, I mean, this is family, right? Uh, Sebastian, Oliver, Susie, this is our family. And as a result, we just want to see our family succeed for the long term. So, yeah. Uh, I know she is going to make the right decision because she is all kinds of awesome. Uh, Let's see. Where do we go? Where do we go? Craig Johnson, MP, technical question. In the Champ Car, Kart Series, a pop-off valve was used to control maximum boost. How is boost controlled now? Is it all electronics? It is. Uh, Why didn't they do that, quote, back in the day? Was everything simply analog back then? Uh, yeah, you're, you're onto it. We have the same technology, the same concept being used today. You have a pressure relief valve turbocharger boost. It's pressure. It's pressurized air stuffing and forcing crazy dense, high speed air into the combustion chamber right we know that fuel liquid fuel mixed with oxygen a spark compressed heavily that piston against the head the valves that goes a kaboom and it makes horsepower well that turbocharger takes that air boy just like you wouldn't believe super compresses it and stuffs that into the combustion chamber with outrageous amounts of force more boost more force and power that can be fired into the engine well the more horsepower you can make so what a racing series 
tend to say, okay, here's a maximum amount of boost you're able to use. We use the limitation to control horsepower a little bit. Well, if you exceed that, if you go beyond the permissible boost pressure in the old days, the analog days, uh, that pop-off valve sat on top of the turbocharger plenum where all that crazy compressed air is stuffed into by the turbos and it's a spring it's a spring-loaded device and if more pressure than was allowed was being made and fired in there by the turbos would overpower that spring push that spring up and open up the the ceiling plate the disc on top of the plenum or the back of the plenum or wherever, basically open up the plenum. And you go from having crazy amounts of forced induction boost to wide open, lost all the pressure, make way less power. The motor feels like it dies. And so only when you get the boost back down to the maximum level does that spring close. And that's how it worked back then. These days... It's done electronically through waste gates, which are basically fancier name for a pop-off valve. And electronically through the engine control unit, through sensors measuring boost, if there's a measurement of excessive boost, more than maximum, the waste gates are informed by the ECU Instead of it just being a spring being pushed open by excess pressure on its own, wastegates are instructed to open and blow off that pressure and then close. So it's the same effect. One old school analog, as you mentioned, a spring being compressed, pushed up against by more, only in the condition of more boost than was allowed. So the spring rate was the thing that really had to be finely tuned so that quote all of them were identical never no one ever said that was ever achieved and it was definite belief that there were some pop-off valves that had a stiffer spring than others so you could run quote a legal boost and it still wouldn't open or would you could run a little bit more without it opening but anyways these days not a thing electronically controlled and yeah says in a millisecond if not faster open up blow off pressure that's when you see them power fall drivers say how over boost penalty waste gates were instructed to open up lost that big pressurized air being fed into the motor and performance suffered momentarily until we got it under control uh lance snyder you're the penultimate questionnaire is that a word? I don't know, but I just used it. Hey, this episode's running long, but what else is new? So since it's after Thanksgiving, it's now officially time to feel festive. So what are you feeling festive for this year, MP? This being asked by a guy who knows that I hate the dumbest, worst, least funny show of all time, hailed as the funniest show of all time, Seinfeld and Festivus. So there's only one thing I'm feeling festive about and it's not having to answer this damn question again uh because 
here it is this time of year where you seemingly always ask it lance snyder minister of mirth who we do love i do love uh volunteer corner worker let's everyone give lance a you are awesome you are awesome and you deserve it too and i'm going to drink a little bit more beer so yeah there you go you got your one shot with festivus and a dumbass show it's the stupid baseline like kind of jokey baseline like you're too stupid to actually just think it's funny we got to give you some jokey comical bass because we we aren't confident enough in the quality of our writing and the humor we've got to kind of silly it up with some and then like the bad instant canned laughter on everything hey kramer opens the door in the same way he has a thousand times that stopped being funny after like one episode but boom ha, 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 ha. canned laughter like it's just as funny as the first. like come on man have confidence in your work all this garbage you're draping it in anyways yeah sorry minister of mirth way to bring down the show uh we're gonna close the show with our pal that being ryan terpstra michigan to the core can we make next week the postseason award show where we make up a bunch of awards and give them out like the best celebration award for you your pick would be joseph newgarden at the Indy 500 jumping into the crowd um no we can't do that for next week ryan just because i don't have the time right now to really start this process and get everything submitted for a show next week also um if i was smarter and had looked at the questions i would have moved this to the front so everyone would hear it right off the bat because probably lost half the listeners an hour ago uh but regardless i wouldn't have thrown this in at the end uh but that's my fault so no but for those of you who are still here uh hello by the way great to see you thanks for playing along here um did this a couple years ago we just made up our own awards postseason silly awards serious awards whatever um my like if i'm the first one that comes to mind malukas's best meme award right that's gonna involve work some of y'all who really care i know some of y'all do uh good old ryan vb i think we can count you in for sure um would go back and look through that lunatics <laughs> uh social media feed for the last year back to january 1st and f- find your favorites and submit it um as your choice for the malukas's best meme the meme king hashtag meme king um it's that kind of thing uh make up your own awards send them in and then i'll pose them because if it's just y'all make up your own and send in the answer well again we want others to play so for those of you who are still listening in this longer than expected episode um think about it fire in submissions um i'm trying to think of how we can do this in a way how we can do this in a way that's easy and it's not coming to mind right now and so yet again that's my fault but think about that when the call goes out for questions next week 
send your ideas in. And then Jerry and I will remember to pose this question again. We'll, we'll basically repurpose Ryan Terpstra's question to open the show and have you submit your postseason, pull it out of your backside award topics. And then maybe for next week's show, but probably the week after, who knows? We'll see when we'll compile the awards categories and then that's what i'll do open up the show with those and if i'm even smarter i might take all that and drop that into a little jpeg and include that with the call for questions of hey here are the topics to the categories send in your submissions whether it's a submission for each category or only the ones you like and I'm thinking by first, second week of December, we should have something. Also, next week's my birthday. And did get a chance to slow down a little bit at Thanksgiving, but still not much. So I'm heading into my birthday week, truly not wanting to overload myself with too much work. Because before too long, we're going to be right back at it, at least on the IMSA side. So great stuff, Ryan. For those who are still listening, start thinking. And with next week's call, uh, we will definitely be asking for them. I'll ask again at the start of next week's show. And before long, we will have not only the award categories, but your answers and be able to present them shortly before we go into the next holiday break. All right. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires the Justice Brothers, torontomotorsports.com, and Discount Tires. Huge thanks to y'all for listening, for sending in those questions. Uh, A really big thanks to the makers, New Holland Brewery, Brewing of Dragon's Milk Reserve. Uh, Still a little more to enjoy, but a fine companion here for this episode. I'll speak to y'all very soon.